to send this group out that's going to go and help Pastor Alex and Holly and Logan and, and Sarah and those guys that are going to be ministering to these, these children. Oh, God. Oh, we also pray for Pastor Darren Frank and the, the group from uh, Rosenberg that's going to be traveling through this week, Lord God, and the same with us and, and on their way as well to the Reagan Revolution. Lord God, just let this be a tremendous, Lord God, encounter, Lord God, with your presence for all of them. Lord God. Father, I, I, I pray, Lord God, that you would just succeed, Lord God, any uh, expectations, Lord God, any preconceived ideas, Lord God, that you would just show up in such a tremendous way, Lord God, in the midst of it. So, Father, as we come tonight, uh, we thank you for your words, Lord God. We just thank you for the truth that it's brought into our lives. Lord God, it's still making us free, Lord God. It's something that we can dine upon daily, Lord God, that you spread the table, Lord God, with, with all of the delicacies of your word, Lord God. And Father, you continue, Lord God, to, to, to cause us, Lord God, to be seated at your table, Lord God, even in the presence of of our enemies. Bless this hearing, Lord God. Bless this speaking tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Amen. Tonight, uh, we're going to try to examine, uh, it, it may end up being maybe the largest chunk of Paul's letter to Galatians that we have uh, addressed to this point. And it's really because of the way it's, it's written would, would enable us to do that. You know, folks, the last time that, that we met, I guess it was last week, um, you know, Paul really got kind of real with the church that he had established. You know, he likened the situation uh, that he found himself into a woman kind of in the throes of labor. And he expressed really the motivation behind uh, his really incessant uh, effort to right the wrongs committed by the Judaizers. And, and you know, if you wish, he stated that he wished that, that the correction didn't have to be in written form. That, man, I wish I was there with you, uh, you know, because I know that something's going to be lost in translation uh, from the written to the verbal. But he said because of uh, the geological, uh, geographical uh, uh, separation that I have, he said there's just no better way. So... Uh, for the lack of a, of a better way, he said, let me write you this letter. But I, I wish I was there so you could hear the pain in my voice, so you could hear the, the sincerity of my words, so you could see the tears in my eyes and all those things. Uh, but now the gears are going to be shifted, and uh, he's going to employ something. Really, when I read this, I, I, I'm going to use a term for it, and I think as we, we look at this, you, some of you guys will be able to relate to it. He's going to use something that's very um, parental. Indeed, by kind of pivoting away from his concerns and his feelings. And he's going to give kind of this allegorical example of the message that he was attempting to give them. Uh, you probably, and again, as a, as a parent, I know I've done this many times, even as a pastor, as a, as a teacher, and you guys are probably that are younger that may not have grown children, obviously, uh, you've probably been the, the, the recipient of this, that you're in a conversation with a parent or a teacher or somebody, and they, they say to you something like, let me just tell you this little story. And then they go into something. Has anybody ever watched that show, uh, uh, what is it, where the Shark Tank, I think. Yeah, the Shark Tank, where you've got people like Mark Cuban and these other, you know, millionaire billionaires. And there's that guy in the middle, I think he's actually from Canada, I can't, I can't call the guy's name, they, they call him Mr. Wonderful or something like that. And uh, if, if somebody's real bad and they've got a business plan or they've got something that they're presented, and uh, before he just totally blows them up, he's kind of like the Simon Cowell of the Shark Tank. He'll give them and he'll say, listen, i got a little story to tell you. You just sit there and listen because you know that story's never going to turn out good for the people in heaven. It, but you remember sometimes when maybe you were younger and your, your parents would say, listen, I want you to say, son, why don't you come here a second? I just want to tell you just a little story. And I want you, as we're looking at what Paul says, it's, it's really allegorical. It's kind of a, he uses that type of, of storytelling, that type of instruction for them. And so I'm going to begin reading in Galatians chapter 4. Uh, beginning with verse 21, and I'm going to read all the way through 31. And uh, here's what he says. I'm going to kind of go back and, and see what he does. And he says, tell me, uh, you who want to live under the law, you know exactly what the law says. He said, the scriptures say that Abraham had two sons. One was a slave wife uh, and one from his freedom-born wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring fulfillment of God's promise, but the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. These two women, in verse 24, serve as the illustration and, 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 and allegory of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, uh, where people received the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai uh, in, in, uh, in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. Uh, she is the free woman, and she is our mother. As Isaiah said, rejoice, O childless woman. Uh, you who will never give birth, you have never given birth, break into joyful shout. Uh, you have never been in labor, for the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of that promise, just like Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who want to keep you 
uh, under the law, just as Ishmael, the child born of human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born of the power of the Spirit. But uh, what I do, what, uh, what do the Scriptures say about that? It says, get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. So, dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. Before I kind of get started, I'm going to give you uh, an A, B, C, D, and E, kind of what Paul was conveying in this. And as we kind of go through this, this allegory and this, this illustration that he's given to us, you're going to pick up some things that he is. And so he's going to utilize really the example of Abraham. You notice all through the book of Galatians, he's constantly pointing them back to Abraham. And he's bringing them back. And folks, listen, the, the good thing about Abraham is, you know, whether you're under the law, whether you're under grace, or whether you're in Islam, if you notice there's a common element in Abraham, even the, uh, even those that are in uh, Muslim nations, we, we we spoke, and we always built up off uh, built off the covenant that God would make with with Abraham as a, as a means to get to the gospel. So he does that. He drives the point home, and, and he brings them back to some points. And so the first thing he did, he brings them back to the equation, uh, since he would, he had really Abraham had served kind of that prime example of justification by faith. You remember we uh, a couple chapters ago, I believe it's chapter two. That Abraham's willingness to sacrifice his son, Isaac, upon the cross, upon the altar is a type of the cross. The second thing he does, he's, he, he takes the, the really kind of the likely argument and style of the Judaizers, and he ends up using it against them. And so they had this insistence upon circumcision by the Gentiles to somehow uh, prove that they were justified and their salvation was there. And so he, he brings that covenant back home to Abraham. Then he demonstrates the obvious differences between the law of Moses and the law of faith. And he also provides kind of an, an, an emotion-stirring, lengthy argument to all of this. Then it provides Paul a platform where he can tell the Galatians what their course of action has got to be in regards to the Judaizers. Folks, and I want to stop just there for a second. I'm going to get into uh, a little bit more as we get in. But I want to say this in case we run out of time. There's one, time, there's one thing to recognize when something's wrong, okay? But there's another thing that you've got to do something about it. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because there's a lot of people that you'll talk to, and maybe they're in error, or, or, or maybe they're, they're in a church or a ministry or whatever else that's preaching a fallacy. And they know that. And, but it's got to come to a conclusion. There's got to be something that's done about it. Or, or somebody that says, listen, I'm in a bad relationship with someone, and I know it's just uh, it's toxic. Okay, you know that. But what are you going to do about it? And so this, this whole illustration that Paul begins to give, he brings all these points up. Then at the end of it, he says, okay, but now let me tell you what you've got to do about it. You just can't talk about the problem. You just can't say that there's an issue. You get that enough in, in Washington, D.C., you know, praying for those men. And I think that's the problem is, is they're much like the Judaizers of that day and, and even the, the, the Galatians who were bewitched by them. It's like we know all the problems, we do all these things, but is anyone ever actually going to provide a solution? And so back to verse 21, and Paul the Apostle said once again, he said, tell me, he said, so you want to live under the law, he said, do you even know what that actually says? You want to live under the law. Doesn't that, doesn't that sound like that conversation somebody would have with a parent? And that's what I'm saying. It's so parental to me. And that's why I love it. You know, it's like a child turning 18 years old. They come to the parent and say, listen, I'm, I'm grown up, and I, I want to live on my own now. You know, I, I don't need anybody telling me what to do. I'm an adult. I can make my own decisions. I want to live on my own. I want to do these things. And the parent looks at him and says, you want to do what? You want to live on your own. You've grown now. You're 18, and so you got a driver's license. You can vote. You can serve in the military. And so that makes you grown. And yeah, I'm grown now. Well, I know what that conversation sounds like because my, my son, who's now nearly 30, he, he, he pulled that 18-year-old equation on me, and you know, a few months later he was knocking on the door and said, hey, can I come live back at the house because he didn't understand everything that involved. And so you know, a parent would, would probably sit down and say, Okay, you, you're grown. Now let me sit down and kind of tell you what that looks like. And that's what Paul started to do with them. And so now you're going to have to pay rent. You understand that now? All that, that free ride, just a place that you've got a key to the door and you can come in. You've got to pay rent now. Uh, you're going to have to pay your own car insurance. You know that little car payment you got? Well, i got news for you. Because of your age, your car insurance is probably going to be three times what your car payment is. And so if you thought you were going to get your own little job and buy you a nice car, you're going to find out you can't afford it because you can't keep insurance on it. Uh, you're not going to have to pay for your own utilities. You know what? It's it's not just magic. You don't just pay rent and all these lights come on and water starts pouring out of the, fa uh, the faucet in the house. Uh, it just stays cool all the time. Uh, you're going to have to buy and cook your own food. 
Your cabinets aren't going to be magically filled with ramen noodles and, 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 and mama's good cooking and all these other things. It's not going to magically happen. Uh, you're going to have to buy and wash your own clothes. You know what? You're going to have to actually, if, if once your shirt gets a hole in it, another t-shirt's not going to magically appear in your, your closet when your socks are mismatched. You're not going to find a, a, a new bag of six pair of your favorite type of socks in there anymore. And when that hamper fills up, you're either going to have to wear them stinky or you're going to have to uh, sign up for the laundry list here at the TC, whatever it may be. You're going to have to get your own health insurance. Or you're going to be running to the emergency room every 15 minutes. You're going to get these $400 bills for an, uh, an emergency bill. She's shaking her head. She knows all about that. Uh, toilet paper, toothpaste, laundry soap, cleaning supplies, car maintenance, get the oil changed, all of those other things. You grown? Because I'm going to show you how grown people have to live. I'm going to show you the responsibilities that grown people have. You've probably had that conversation one, one time or another, or maybe you've had to have it with somebody else. And so... Did you ever stop for a moment and realize the consequences with what you're saying? And that's what Paul the Apostle said. So he, he goes all through this, this discussion uh, on these, these, these first three and a half chapters. And finally he says, okay, let me just break it down. He said, I've got all emotional. I've got all transparent with you. I, I've told you how I feel about you, how much I love you, and how much I, I, I don't desire for you to, to go off on this tangent. But what you're saying is you're grown. What you're saying is you want to live under the law. Have you ever stopped to think about what that's going to require of you? So these people uh, are, are suggesting you live under the law, specifically in this case, obviously, the law of Moses, but also because of the absence of that Article B in the Greek text, just, just any law or, as, as a general means or standard by which these people are desiring to, to somehow find themselves justified before God. And so now there becomes this presentation of a difference between the, the faith-based and that works-based salvation. He said, listen, I want to show you something. You say you want to live, but let me show you what the difference really looks like. Folks, listen, think about it. Before all of us came to Christ, we lived under a law. You know, obviously it wasn't the law of Moses. None of us were, were, were raised in a, in a Jewish home. But we were under the law of sin and death, which was the, 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 the result of the law of Moses. And so you came to Christ, and finally you realized, listen, I know what it is that the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has now made me free from the law of sin and death. And so there's a balancing act. Do any of you want to go back to the law of sin and death? Do you want to go back? Do you, do you want to go back to the, those times where you were hopeless and you couldn't do anything about it, but, but maybe drowned it in a, in a, in a bottle? Or, or, or you felt uh, destitute and in, 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 in lonely and all you could do is satisfy that with just a, another illicit relationship? Do, do you really want to go back to that? Absolutely not. Why? Because you see the difference. So Paul the Apostle, as that parental figure, is setting them down and he's, he's showing them that picture. He's saying, listen, when I was here before, all the way back to chapter 1, you've been bewitched. Don't you remember the freedom and the relationship that you had there? And now suddenly you're going to digress back into law? Listen, you've never had to live under the stringent nature of that law as a Gentile. You were in bondage before, but you ain't seen bondage until you've seen legalistic bondage on you. Because before you were just ignorant under bondage. You were just under the penalty of the law. But now you're going to be not only under the penalty of the law, but you're going to be under the, the, the knowledge of that law and the structure associated with it. And just as bad as it was before, now you're, just, now you're going to actually come to the realization of how bad off you were. Do you really, really want to do that? And so the law, obviously, it relied heavily upon man's ability and is... is, is his, his understanding, his, it really not his ability, it's really his inability, it, it, to become somehow righteous by adhering to a certain you know, list of principles. And so what this did in effect was to place the sustainability and the sacrificial nature of things uh, totally upon the shoulders of an unholy man and remove from the equation the fact that God had demonstrated man's total futility when he came down in the form of sinful flesh and for sin, and he died that substitutionary death upon the cross of Calvary. And so what they're saying is we want to eliminate from the equation the one that made it all possible. And so it'd be like somebody saying to you, listen, I want to give you a car, and I want to give you this, but I want to take the engine out of the car that makes it operate. And so that's what they were presenting. Let me present the framework, but let me remove from the equation the very thing that keeps you moving. In him we live, and we move, and we have our being. And so when they wanted to bring them back up under that yoke, they were saying, listen, we want to place you in a place 
that you're going to have a structure, but you're not going to have any type of life. And so now he goes into this allegorical example of, 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 of Isaac and Ishmael. He says in verse 21, he says, tell me, you that want to live in the law, he said, you know what the law actually says? He says, okay then, here you go. I'm going to tell you what the law actually says in verse 22. And he says, the scriptures say that Abraham had two sons. One was born from his slave wife, and one was born from his freeborn wife. And so, folks, this is kind of interesting and, and really informative because it sets the tone in, in, in a few different ways. The first way is because the Jews, and think about this just for a second, they considered themselves heirs to the promise because they could trace their uh, 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 descendants back to Abraham. And so Paul puts them in this place of basically saying, so can Ishmael. And they say, well, listen, we've got a promise because of who our father was. We can trace ourselves all the way back to Abraham. And so he pulls the card and he says, well, you're, you're in good company. Ishmael can also do those things. You don't, you, don't you recognize that, that just because you have a, a birthright or you had a lineage does not mean that you're actually going to be in possession of the promise? Folks, listen, how many times have you heard that in the modern era? You go to somebody and you're on the street or whatever else, you say, hey, listen, how's your relationship with God? Well, I'm a Catholic. Well, why are you Catholic? Well, I was raised Catholic. And so you're okay. Yeah, because mom was Catholic, grandmother was Catholic, all the way back to the Catholic, and probably somewhere back there, you know, my uncle was Peter or something. That's probably what they think. Let me just trace it back. Folks, listen, there, there, there's no stepchildren, quote-unquote, in, in the kingdom. There's, there, there, there's no that. It, it's always got to be through the new birth. There's got to be something that's always going to be first generation in regards to our relationship with him. So Paul the Apostle will say, listen, you, you, you say to yourself, listen, I've got it all together, or, or I, I, I've got a benefit because of who I am. Folks, listen, that doesn't buy it. Listen, uh, as Kate often says on the street, she said, listen, you can, you can stand in a, in a barn. It doesn't make you a, a, a cow any more than going to church makes you a follower of Christ Jesus. Just because I've been around it, or mom and daddy were Baptist, or, or, or something of that nature happened, does not qualify me for that covenant. And so... John the Baptist, he ripped the Pharisees on this, and I love this. It really the same type of argument, Matthew chapter 3, verse 9. Look what uh, John says. He said, don't just say to each other, we're saved, we're the descendants of Abraham. He said, that means nothing. He said, I'll tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. And so you can see how those Judaizers, because they had the same philosophical belief system as the Pharisees did, they thought that exact same thing, but John cut them off by saying, listen, if you're boasting about that, listen, it's nothing. If God wanted to raise up stones and make children, he could do that. Don't you think that's far-fetched? Why don't you think that's far-fetched? What? Yeah, he could do everything. Man, that just kind of blank his hand. Why don't you think it's far-fetched that God could raise up a people from stones? Huh? Did it with the nation of Israel? He made people from dirt. He made people from dirt. In other words, they were saying, listen, that's where you came from to begin with. If you believe the very word that you've grown up on, he can make people from stones because that's where uh, Adam came from initially anyhow. We came from the dust of the earth. Don't you think he could raise up an inheritance of people anyway? And so he said, listen, it's, I'm not saying something that's outlandish. I'm saying something that where God created man in his image, he did it out of the dirt anyway. And so you're sitting here thinking that God needed you, he needed your lineage to prove something. I'm here to tell you that he didn't need any of us. He could go back to that very source. And so Jesus also tackled this issue in John chapter 8, verse 39, speaking to the, to the, the, the Pharisees in, in, in this big argumentative uh, 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 thing that they were going through with Jesus. They went on to say, verse 37, our father is Abraham, trying to let them off the hook with Jesus. And Jesus said, I love this. He said, no. He said, if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. He said, instead, you're trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. He said, Abraham never did such a thing. And he said, no, you are imitating your real father. And they replied, now love this, they said, we aren't illegitimate children. Once again, that Ishmael connection. He says, God himself is our true father. And Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I've come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me, for you are the children of your father, the devil. Whoa! Is that love? 
Is that love? Well, don't say that in some crowds. I'll tell you that wasn't very loving. And if you notice the one that is not does love, but the one that is love is the one that I'm quoting there tonight. He called them out. He said, listen, no, no, no. You're of your father, the devil. And the, the reason was because they didn't love basically the truth because Jesus Christ obviously was the way, the truth, and the life. But they were bound by a, a religious legal system. So again, it says Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. And so Paul was, was really saying, Let, let's take a little closer look at that which you say you want to live by. Because I'm telling you, he's got two examples here to follow. And so he identifies the parties associated with Sinai. Obviously, Hagar was the mother of Ishmael and Sarah, the mother of Isaac. And he says Hagar was a slave woman and Sarah was the legitimate wife of Abraham. Folks, listen. If you're going to walk in covenant with God, it's got to come from a legitimate source. It can't be something that is, that is from an illegitimate source or, or built upon the premise of man's will. And so we've always got to come back to the legitimacy of our relationship with God, which is produced not by man, but by the miraculous. You know why you're saved? You know why you're born again? Any idea? Because I went to youth camp and I prayed that prayer one time. You're saved as a result of a bona fide miracle. You are. The bona fide miracle, that, that it, it, here was the first miracle. That God was willing to give man a chance to be reconciled back in the end. Folks, that's miraculous. That's why when we look at the scripture that says that, that the angels, there's, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels in heaven when one sinner repents. Well, they see the magnitude of that. Folks, we think everyone deserves a chance. We think that this, the good old boys and all these other people, that God owes everyone a chance. Well, the angels in heaven do not share that opinion. The angels in heaven think that, listen, if one person got saved out of the billions of people that now and have previously occupied this, this, this piece of rock, that if just one of them got saved, that that would be something rejoicing over. You think about that? Folks, it just shows me the magnitude of God's uh, grace and God's mercy and the, the magnitude of, of the miracle that I'm standing here saying. That I was destitute in the faith. I was the enemy of God. I was of my father the devil. Maybe not the same way as the, as the Pharisees, but that was my heritage. That was my lineage. And somehow God saw fit to provide for me a promise. Folks, see, that's what keeps us rejoicing. That's what should keep a person uh, 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 looking to God, the author, the finisher of their faith. That should, is what should keep us in victory. But if you notice that that old sinner saved by grace type of mentality is really the same thing that the, the, the Judaizers were bewitching them with. They were saying, listen, you just got to keep yourself hemmed in. We talked about the bumpers in the, in the bowling alley. That's what they did. Why? Because they didn't see the miraculous nature and the awe-inspiring mercy that would extend to God. Now, you see these movies where maybe somebody, they're, they're, maybe they're kind of mortal enemies or something, but one saves the other person's life, and the person says that I'm indebted to you for my life. And everything that they do, they, they do to, to make sure that person's okay because they, they, they saved their life. Folks, he saved our life. And so we ought to be completely indebted to him. Why? Because he kept us from the ultimate penalty of death, hell, and destruction. Folks, the law can't do that. Religion can't do that. The false gospel and, of, of, of this greasy grace and, and, and this permissiveness, and that, they can't produce that. Why? Because what it does, it diminishes the, the power and the authority that the Word of God and the Spirit of God has inside of our life. And so when I believe and I say, listen, God, man, found it in his, his infinite mercy to extend an invitation for me to come into his presence. And he did so by, by coming down and, and, and taking on the, 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 the likeness of man as the second Adam and paid that price for me. Man, there ought to be a gratitude inside of me that says, God, thank you. Thank you. There's something that, that, that has set me apart. And so now you're going to look at this, this difference that he gives. I'll, I'll read verse 23 again. It says, the son of the slave... A wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise, but the son of the freeborn wife was, was born as God's own fulfillment, his own promise. Now, look at the differences that he presents using Hagar kind of as a type of the law and Sarah as a type of justification, justification through faith. And so that Hagar relationship that he spoke of was a birth built upon the efforts, actions, and understanding of man. 
It was totally a, a, a relationship built upon that. Now, if you talk to people, uh, maybe the, the new Hebrew Roots movement or the, the, the what's the, the other one, the Hebrew Israelites or the Messianic movement, the, all of these things that, that start swinging the pendulum way far in that way. Folks, listen, it becomes those things about the efforts, the actions, the understanding of men. It all becomes something up here. Well, let me tell you what the, the, the Torah says. Let me, let me tell you what this did. Let me tell you what that... But there's a deadness in it. There's no life. There's no promise of victory. There's hoping in hopelessness. And, and I hope everything turns out, but you see a hopelessness in it because there's no confidence. There's no assurance. There's no genuine value to the relationship. Why? Because they never know if they're offering up enough of the stuff to please God. Folks, listen, we'll never be able to offer up enough of anything to please God. Not a, a tub load more of self-righteousness or self-effort or, or doing all these things. Folks, we don't do those things in order to get God's love. We do those things because we have God's love. We are His workmanship created unto good works. There's something that happened inside of us. Now we don't do those things to help us. We do those things because we just can't help it. I can't help but tell people about Jesus. I can't help but be kind to someone. I can't help but walk in, in forgiveness. I can't help but walk in victory. Why? Because I'm His workmanship. I'm not raised up out of stones. I'm raised up out of the, 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 the very promise that God gave to, God, to, to man. And so the Hagar relationship was built upon human efforts, actions, understanding. Primarily that of impatience. And they were concerned about a lack of a manifestation of the promise. You, you remember the story. Oh, listen, we're getting up in age. We're not going to do that. So how can we fix that? Oh, I know. Let me take the slave woman, who's my servant, and I'll send her into you, and you'll have a child by her. Well, you remember what Abraham's first idea was? You remember that? He says the child of a slave. Had no biological connection whatsoever. I guess that's going to be it. He's like, no, no, no. I'm going to give you a child. Okay. Now, how are you going to do it, God? Oh, I know. Well, getting up in age. And so I guess I'm going to have it through 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 Hagar. I'm going to have it through the slave woman when God had already given him the promise. And so you see how in, in, uh, impatience sometimes produces something that doesn't produce a freedom, but it produces a bondage. And the second thing was fear. Once again, it was that fear of the physical impossibility to produce children. Abraham was 86 years old when that happened with, with Hagar. And so, but even though he was 86, there was, there was obviously no miracle involved. He was 86, and he, he, the, uh, the, the child was conceived through normal means of conception. Everything happened naturally. Folks, listen, our promise is not built on those things that are natural. You hear me? Any promise of God is going to be built upon something that's eternal. It's going to be built upon something that is supernatural. Anytime I try to accomplish or build upon something in the natural, another word for the natural is what? The, another word for natural is what? The flesh. I mean, we call it the natural, but at the end of the day, it's our, our flesh, and in our flesh dwells no good thing. And so every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from where? God, the Father of lies, and there's no shadow, there's no variableness. There's, there, there's no risk involved. Why? Because there's a certainty to that promise. Proverbs 14, 12, you know it, what? There's a way that seems right to a man, but then there are the ways of death. Don't you think Abraham thought it was pretty right when Hagar came into his tent? Probably did. He thought, whoa, this is right. Well, he found out soon afterwards just how wrong it was when the battle began, even even before the, the, the birth of, of Isaac, with the, with the contention and the jealousy between uh, uh, she and, uh, and Sarah. And so, Abraham, and obviously Sarah offered up Hagar, they were attempting to assist God in the fulfillment of his plan as though God needed their help to fulfill his plan or his desire. You ever guilty of that? You ever done that? Can you give me a, a, a recent example that you, that you did that? I, I could because I, I know you and I know myself as well. That you tried to put your hand to something, man, it looks so good. And what you find yourself doing? One of two things, you had to live with the consequences of it, or you had to backtrack and say, God, before this thing gets out of control, I want to remedy this situation before I have to suffer the consequences of trying to fulfill a promise that I know you had for me on my own. So we back up and we say, God, look what you've done, look what I've done, and God, I want to, I want to repent. And so that was the Hagar relationship. The Sarah relationship was built upon 
the promised miracle of God. Folks, once again, it's a miracle that any of us in here today are saved. Total miracle. It is. And not because we were the doing drive-bys in Miami or we were selling drugs in the high plains of Texas or uh, acting crazy up in York, Pennsylvania. None of those. It's not because of that. It's because man is so self-centered on his own without God and his grace and mercy drawing us to himself. Folks, we love him because he first loved us. And he demonstrated that love for us. He drew us by his spirit. Where sin abounded, God's grace did much more abound. He's drawn us into that place. And so this took faith because now Abraham was 99 years old, but Sarah had already aged beyond the, the ability to conceive as well. And so if anything was going to happen at this point, what would it require? It required a miracle from God. There was no flesh that was going to glory in his presence. Why? Because the flesh that glory in his presence was the example that Paul the Apostle was given once again back in the example, this, 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 this illustration of Hagar. Folks, listen, we try to live under the law, is what he was telling them. All it does is put the flesh on display. It allows the flesh to glory in his presence. And once again, we have the example. You see people in this modern age that, that, that want to go back to, to some type of legalism. What does it do? It just puts the flesh on display. It puts the flesh on display dressed up in religion. Look what I did. Oh, you know what? You celebrated Ishtar. Well, I didn't. Well, yeah, yeah you did. Because you, you, you had an Easter service. Well, I had a resurrection service. You call it whatever you want to. Well, we had the Passover. And so unless you have the Passover and you go through all these things and you represent and you have the Feast of Trumpets and all these other things, you're, you're, well, let's just put the flesh on display. So once again, it's about what you did. What I have is faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary. You've got your prayer shawl on. You've got the, the, the right little things dangling off the, the, the hem of your garment. Folks, it just puts the flesh once again upon display rather than saying, listen, God's not looking at the outward appearance of the things that I can do in the natural. Well, God is looking at the heart and the motivation of a person that at the end of the day, I know that I've got to depend upon God. And so Isaac was born out of bondage, but, excuse me, Isaac wasn't born out of bondage, but he was born out of promise for the sake of freedom. And so Paul, once again, using this illustration that the law, Ishmael as a type, is founded upon something that will never produce freedom because it was never meant to produce freedom. You understand that? So he used Ishmael because... That the law was never meant to produce freedom even in the children of Israel. And so it couldn't. What it was meant to do is expose man's own efforts. And so grace through faith, Isaac is the top, is the foundation of freedom and victory because it comes forth from God himself. And so when he talks about that promise, again, it's one of those interesting things because it entails. And it's more than just an oath. If I say, listen, I want to make you a promise. What do you think? I'm making an oath to you. Well, you, you know, is your word your bond? Are you going to stand by your word? Well, it's not just an oath with an expectancy of a produced heir for, uh, for Abraham, but it really becomes the whole embodiment of our covenant with him. And it's something that's, that's ratified by the blood of Jesus, and it's typified when God once again told Abraham to go up and, and offer your son uh, uh, Isaac up on the mountain. We know the story that there was a, a ram in the bush. And so when he's talking about promise, he's not just simply talking about, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm making an oath to you that you're going to be okay. No, he's saying there's a promise in that relationship that you have with Isaac that cannot exist in an Ishmael-based relationship. Now, we know we have salvation through him. But folks, listen, did you just come to Christ just to get saved? And when I say just saved, and I'm talking about what people typically think of salvation. They think, I got saved, which means I don't have to go to hell. So did you come to Christ? Do you serve Jesus? Do you read your Bible? Do you pray just so you don't have to go to hell? Is that, is that what you're in it for? I mean, what, what, wouldn't that be just such a, a, a huge investment and in such a small return in the short term? And so I did. I, I don't want to go to hell. I have no intent on going there. And so it's my salvation. But it's all the promises of God. Jesus said, listen, I, I'm, I have to go away. It's expedient. I'm going to send you the promise of the Father, the, another company. So even in that covenant he's talking about, the indwelling person of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And so... Ishmael could never produce that. He could produce a regeneration. Well, the promises of God, once again, using the illustration of Sarah, it produced something inside of you. 
And so Sarah was the one that birthed the promise. And listen, just like that, the first Corinthians 3.16, the Spirit of God is going to dwell inside of a person. That's part of the problem. But what about the healing, the living in victory, the, uh, even ultimately we talk about our, our glorification. And so the promises of God that he's talking about is this whole ball of wax, this thing that's going to bring us into this collective of God and to know him and to, to have every characteristic of him resonate in our life. And it says in verse 24, it says, These two women serve as an illustration, an allegory of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where the people received the law that enslaved them. And so now he presents this picture, this illustration of the covenant of law and grace. Hagar, once again, represents the law. And, but you know, I was thinking about something in regards to that. Look what he said. He said, Hagar represents Mount Sinai. Now, think about the events that surrounded the giving of the law. You, you remember the story. You, you've read it. You've watched Charles Destin and the Ten Commandments and, and all that stuff. And so he'd gone up to just receive what? The, the tablets of the law. And so he goes up there and God writes with his own finger these Ten Commandments. Don't have any other gods before me. Don't make any graven images. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Uh, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Honor your, your mother and father. Uh, don't murder. Don't steal. Don't covet. Don't commit adultery. Uh, don't lie. And so he's coming down. And, and here's, what, here's what caught me as I'm looking at this. Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. That was the, that was the extent of that meeting that... that Moses had, independent of the people, with God. Ten, ten little commandments. That was, the, that was the whole of the law. But it says, when the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the round horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing through the mountain, they stood at a distance. They stood at a distance, trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or will die. But Moses said, don't, don't be afraid. He says, for God has come this way to test you so that you will fear him and you'll keep from sin. He's not coming here to kill you. He's doing this so you'll have a dread of being displeased and so you'll know him. But verse 21, it says, but the people continued to stand in the distance. And so Moses approached the dark cloud where God was. Folks, that's the contrast that he was giving them. He said, listen, the people decided to send someone else to have a relationship with God for them. And so that's where the law falls flat, that it never allows one to approach God. It just keeps you on the outskirts, bound by fear. Now, folks, if you want to know if you're, whether or not you're getting into legalism, period, ask yourself the question, how is it or how comfortable do you feel in approaching God? Because when I'm bound by legalism, and, and legalism can come in all kinds of different ways. It, let's, just, let's just back up and not call it legalism. Let's call it the law of sin and death. If you're walking in sin, which is the law of sin and death, because if I'm walking in sin, I'm not walking in the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And so the, the, the church at large, which preaches a message of bondage to sin, are not walking in the spirit of life in Christ Jesus and there's no ability to approach the presence of God. Why? Because who can ascend to the hill of the Lord? But those with clean hands and with a pure heart. But if my testimony is, is I'm never going to have clean hands and I'm never going to have a pure heart, how on earth do I expect to approach God and, 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 and ascend to the hill of the Lord where he's at? Well, I really don't. I'll, I'll sing a song. I'll jump around at a youth conference. Or I'll, I'll, I'll shout. I'll do all these things. But there's never going to be anything that, that, that demonstrates an intimacy and a genuineness in my relationship with God. Why? Because I'm always going to wait for the other will to fall off. I'm always going to say to myself, well, God, eventually is going to be disappointed with me. God's, he's, he's not going to want me. So what I'm going to find myself is continuing to, to stay in the distance and walking in an unnatural and un, uh, uh, unholy fear of God that's meant uh, for those of the children of wrath rather than the children of God. And so that's how you know whether you're walking in legalism or not or walking in the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It's that one allows me to approach even though I may be struggling. You hear me? And I'm not talking about uh, this sinless perfection ideology. I'm talking about if I'm walking in the righteousness of God and perfected by His blood, I have a right relationship with Him that allows me to bring my struggle to Him. It doesn't put me in a situation where I'm keeping my struggle 
uh, away from him where he can't see it. But I'm saying, God, here it is. Here's what you've revealed to me through your presence. Here's what you've shown me as I've approached your, your presence in the glorious light of the gospel. You've revealed some things in me. Why? So whatsoever things are made manifest, they can be revealed by the light and they can become light. And so, God, I'm coming to you. I'm, I'm coming to you as someone that's not coming by my own, my own strength, my own volition, by own volition, my own understanding. But I'm coming by, by the, the inner workings of the Spirit of God inside of my life so you can deal with me. Folks, that's the victory that we have. In, in the Word of God. That's what the, the victory that we have through, through Christ Jesus. And so, if I'm walking by law or I'm walking by faith, even walking by faith, what am I walking by faith in? Do you have faith? Because when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? Do you have faith? How do you know you have faith? You put your trust in him, Why? Put your faith in. That he'll keep you safe. Don't you want to be scared when you're driving on a slick pavement? What do you mean he'll keep you safe? What do you put your what's your faith in? What if he don't keep you safe? What if you what if you what if you get ran over by something? So you don't have any faith anymore? I don't know. I don't know is a perfectly fine answer. Folks, what is it that he wants us to put our faith in? Well, it comes right back to what we've been talking about for the last 46 weeks. We're putting our faith back in what Jesus Christ did for us at the cross of Calvary. We can run off the highway and still have faith. We can go through terrible times and still have faith. We can have trials and tribulations. We can be dead broke and, and all of our relationships fall apart, but still have faith. Why? Because my faith is not in what I see. It's in what God has said. That is my reality. It's nothing less but on Jesus' blood and His righteousness, as the old song says. And so it wasn't just having a general faith and saying, well, God's true or God's going to keep me okay. It's that my faith is that Jesus Christ accomplished everything that I needed to have accomplished for me upon the cross of Calvary, and now I have access through that blood. That's what my faith is in. My faith is that he was wounded for my transgressions. My faith is that he was bruised for my iniquity. My faith is that he was chastised for my peace. My faith is that the by stripes I'm healed. That's what my faith is. My faith is in the cross of Christ, in what Jesus Christ did. That's why I'm crucified with Christ, back to uh, 220. Nevertheless, I live. But it's not I that live, but it's Christ Jesus who lives with me. And so when he comes back, he's not going to just be looking and say, well, did you believe, did you believe my word? And you're going to say, yeah, I mean, I believe you parted the Red Sea. You know, well, that's real good for you, and that's good, real good for those that escape. He's not going to say, well, did you believe my word? And you're going to say, yeah, I believe that Elisha uh, uh, caused the accent to float. Well, that's the Bible, you know. He's going to say, well, what did you do with my son Jesus? What did you believe about what he did? Folks, as I can tell you, at the end of the day, you may not know the story of Elisha's floating accent, or you may not even know the, uh, the, 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 the story of all the plagues in Egypt. But if I know what Jesus Christ did for me upon the cross of Calvary, it's going to keep me in that place of covenant promise. I'm going to experience salvation. I'm going to experience the joy of the Lord. I'm going to experience victory. And you know what? All that other information, man, it, that's fine and that's good. But at the end of the day, my relationship is built upon who Jesus is and what Jesus did, not about the accumulation of all this neat knowledge I've gotten over time. That's it. Otherwise, what have I done? I've slipped right back into another mode of legalism. Thinking ourselves wise, we become fools. And folks, that's exactly the sinister snare that was set for the Galatians. Those people found themselves doing the exact same thing. It says, now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai and Arabia, because she and her children live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She's a free woman, and she is our mother. And I'm, I'm going to stop right there. Think about this just for a second. When he's contrasting and giving the example of them, it meant a lot to them just because of the geography. And he says, listen, she's like Mount Moriah. And he brings that, or Mount, uh, Mount Sinai, excuse me. And he says, she's like Mount Sinai. And he points out where Mount Sinai was. And he says, in Arabia. And he says, even Mount Sinai was, 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 was represented of something that was away from the promised land. Folks, what they received at that place was something that they received outside of the place of promise. 
And it was designed not to keep them outside of the place of promise, but it was designed to show them what they needed to do to put their faith in the one that had the promise. And he said, listen, I'm not talking about geography, but I'm using that as an example for you. And you went and got this law that was derived from a place outside the promise. The place you got the law was in Arabia. It wasn't right here in, 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 in this land that I've given you, that I've, I've promised you. You got it even outside of that place. So he's, I, I love how he even knows it. It says, Isaiah said, Rejoice, O child, this woman who's never given birth. Break into a joyful shout. You have, uh, who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman has, has now more children uh, than the woman who lives with her husband. And he said, listen, that's the focus. Isaiah was prophetically speaking about that, that, that event that would even happen that he would see us in, in Galatians. And so he said, listen, what you're doing is you're rejoicing because what you're seeing is something is very short-sighted. Oh, how the wicked prosper. Look how they prosper before us. Folks, are they really prospering? You know, we have, think it not strange, concerning the fiery trial. Well, we get the fiery trial. That's our inheritance. We get something that burns all that stuff up now. You know what the wicked get? They get a certain looking into fiery indignation at the end of the day. That's why you say to yourself, man, it seems like I'm always going through more things than wicked people are. You get to go through things now. What they've done is the wrath of God is being stored up for the children of disobedience. And so what we do is the judgment that begins at the house of the Lord, we get it here under grace. What they're going to do is they're going to get the judgment of God outside of the age of grace. They're going to get their judgment in a mountain in, Jeru in, 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 in Arabia, what we're going to give is our grace and our reward at the foot of the Lord in the New Jerusalem. So that's the benefit that we have. And it says, you dear brothers and sisters are children of the promise, just like Isaac. In other words, you may have to wait. You may have to endure. But listen, look where your promise has been derived from. You know, and, and I like to look at it in regards to, uh, to those relationships. And I love how he used Abraham in, in contrasting uh, the relationship uh, uh, between Hagar and Sarah. And, and I think about uh, a conversation just uh, that, that, that Christina had in, in our house. This, uh, it seemed like this, this day, it was probably a few weeks before um, she found out that, that Gideon had, a, had a, a very strong interest in her. She's in our house, and, you know, she's all in the bully grubs. And, and I'm having these conversations with Gideon late at night. He's coming by my office, and he's like, Pastor, what do you think about Christina? I said, Christina's top-notch people, you know. And why would he ask? Well, you know, and I believe he finds a wife finds a good thing, and I believe that she's the type of wife. And I said, brother, that's exactly what you're, you're getting. You're getting a wife. You're getting something you don't have to guess about. Uh, you don't have to wonder how they're going to turn out or what her interests are. You know exactly what she's about. Then, like, the next day, she's in her living room at her house. I don't know. I don't know. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I so wish I could just say something. <laughs> But see, there was a promise there, and even though she didn't even know what the promise was, the promise existed. And what if she had to say to herself, you know what, listen, I'm going to go out and find some old boy, and I'm just going to hook up with him or whatever else. What she would have done, she would have eliminated the potential for that promise to come into her life. But now look at her, running around, going to New York and New York and doing all this neat stuff with Jesus and all these, these things. Folks, that's just the promise of God at work, and that's just the illustration that he gave. He's like, listen, look at all the suffering that, that Abraham had to go through as a result. Those that were connected to that covenant promise because he wanted to pull the trigger before God wanted to pull the trigger. He said, but now, he said, you're being persecuted by those who want to keep the law. Just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born of the power of the Spirit. And so what you're going to always see is righteousness under grace is always going to be persecuted and looked down upon by unrighteousness under the law. Period. And so anytime you stand for holiness and righteousness and truth, what's going to happen? A religious spirit will always rise up and call you self-righteous, call you legalistic, call you all these other things. Who do you think you are? Well, I'm a child of the promise. That's, that's who I am. Who do you think you are? Well, you can't do that. Oh, no. You can't do that. Because everything you have, your strength and your ability is always derived from the natural man Mine's derived from the one who says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so if I can't do things, I know the source of my relationship or the source of my covenant. It's an Ishmael covenant. But if I can do all things, if I can walk in victory, if I can't have the peace of God in my life that passes all understanding, what does it tell me? 
That tells me I'm in the right relationship. And so there's always going to be this persecution that's happening back and forth. And he says, but what you do, the scripture says, get, and he says, but what do you do about that? Here's what I wanted to make sure we drill this point home. He says, you get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. So dear brothers and sisters, you're not children of the slave woman. You're the children of the free woman. And I like how Paul kind of waits till this whole analogy that he gave him. And he, and he really picked his punch, because up to this point, he was just laying on the line. He said, listen, I'm about to tell you what the solution is. You can't have anything to do with those jokers anymore, the poor boogaloo. He says, listen, I'm telling you, they, yeah, they've been around and, 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 and they've built some type of kindredness and some type of relationship with you. He said, but just like Abraham couldn't allow Ishmael to hang around, you've got to get rid of that relationship. You can't be hanging around that stuff that does not have your best interest in mind. That's why the word tells us, come out from among them and be separate, touch not the unclean thing. And then I will receive you. The friend of the world is the enemy of God. I can't serve two masters. I'll love one and hate the other and love the one and hate the one. Or hate the one. Whatever. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> anyway, I can't serve two masters. Folks, when it comes down to it, there's got to be a point where I'm cutting off all of that influence. And folks, it had to be difficult. I, I like the, the, the illustration he gave. That was his offspring. It was his fault so to speak. His decision produced the problem, but it made him all the much more responsible to do something with it. The decisions of the Galatians allowed those people to come in because what if they had just said right off the bat, uh, you ain't coming in here. But what they did is they allowed those people to come in. They, they, they built a, a following. They built a relationship. He said, listen, you're the one that brought them in. You're the one that's going to have to throw them out. And so for us, it becomes the exact same thing. It comes in relationships, belief system, all of those other things that we cannot cohabit. How can two walk together except they be in agreement? So Paul the Apostle summarizing all those things in this illustration. He said, let me, let me just show you exactly what you've got. You can either go the Ishmael way, which is the law, or you can go the Isaac way, which is the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Amen? Father, we just thank you, Lord God, that you have set before us life and death, Lord God, just like you did then, and we get to choose life, Lord God, because of who you are in the Holy Spirit. Lord God, so we thank you, Lord God, the Spirit's come to lead and guide us into all truth, Lord God, to bring deliverance, to bring the Spirit of wisdom and understanding upon us, Lord God. And Father, we want to see the value, Lord God. Father, even uh, as the song sung tonight, Lord God, such a sacred thing, Lord God, it's a sacred relationship that we have with you, Lord God. And Father, we thank you, Lord God, that we are the children of promise, Lord God, not by man, but by miracles. And we thank you for this. Father, we ask you to bless our offering tonight.